The following sermon, entitled Loving Christ's Beloved Church, was preached on the morning of March 19, 2023, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's read God's Word this morning in Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah 62, we will read the whole of this brief chapter, and we do so in connection with Lord's Day 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Isaiah 62. For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all thy kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. Thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man married, Marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence, and give him no rest till he establish, until he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord hath sworn by His right hand and by the arm of His strength, Surely I will no more give thy corn to be meat for thine enemies, and the sons of the stranger shall not drink thy wine, for the which thou hast labored. But they that have gathered it shall eat it, and praise the Lord, and they that have brought it together shall drink it in the courts of my holiness. Go through, go through the gates, Prepare ye the way of the people. Cast up, cast up the highway. Gather out the stones. Lift up a standard for the people. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world. Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. And they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And thou shalt be called sought out a city not forsaken. We read God's Word thus far. It's on the basis of this passage and many others that we have the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 21. This is found in the back of our songbooks on page 12. What believest thou concerning the Holy Catholic Church of Christ? That the Son of God from the beginning to the end of the world gathers defends and preserves to Himself by His Spirit and Word out of the whole human race a church chosen to everlasting life, agreeing in true faith, and that I am and forever shall remain a living member thereof. 
What do you understand by the communion of the saints? First, that all and everyone who believes, being members of Christ, are in common, partakers of Him and of all His riches and gifts. Secondly, that everyone must know it to be His duty readily and cheerfully to employ His gifts for the advantage and salvation of other members. What believest thou concerning the forgiveness of sins? That God, for the sake of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, neither my corrupt nature against which I have to struggle all my life long, but will graciously impute to me the righteousness of Christ, that I may never be condemned before the tribunal of God. Child of God, do you love the church? Could you sing from the heart? What we sang just a few moments ago that you prefer the church above your chief joy. It's an important question. And it's an important question in part because of the hostility of so many toward the church. We live in a world that hates the church of Jesus Christ. That heaps scorn upon the church. And it can be that when that opposition is felt, our commitment to the church might waver a little bit. Perhaps we start to have questions when we hear all the criticism against the the church. Is the church really the right place for me? That's only half the difficulty. Because it's not just that there's criticism from without directed toward us, but sadly, there can arise a critical spirit within the church. Perhaps because we've seen some of her flaws, some of her weaknesses. Perhaps because other members in the church have sinned against me. It can happen that we develop a hypercritical attitude toward the church. And it's in light of the criticism from without, as well as the critical spirit that can rise within, that it's important for us to face that question do we love the church? Because understand, we have good reason to do so. And perhaps one of the greatest reasons of all is because Christ Himself loves the church. And as those who love the bridegroom, we will therefore love His bride too. And that's what we want to focus on this morning. As we come to Lord's Day 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 21 is the Lord's Day in the Catechism that sets before us the doctrine of the church. And there are certainly many different ways to approach this Lord's Day, many different angles that we could take in examining Lord's Day 21. 
But I believe it's appropriate for us to consider Christ's own love for His church. And how in His love, He would stop at nothing to accomplish her salvation. And that's so important for us to consider because it's knowing how dear, how precious the church is to Jesus Christ. That the church then becomes precious to us. And I believe that's a word that's needed for us. It's important that we have within our hearts a rekindled love for the church of Jesus Christ. So the theme for this morning's sermon is loving Christ's beloved church. First, we'll look at Christ's love for His church. And then second, our love for His church. Loving Christ's beloved church. Christ's love for His church and our love for His church. Jesus Christ loves His church. And that statement is true Regardless of whether we're talking about the church as the elect body of Christ or whether we're talking about the local manifestations of that body of Christ in local congregations. That is, Christ loves both the invisible church as well as the visible church. And in this first point, we want to look at each of those in turn first. Jesus Christ loves the church invisible now, love for the church comes out in Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah 62 is indeed about the church. And that comes out from the references in verse 1 to Zion and Jerusalem. Verse 1 reads, For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest. Speaks of Zion. Zion in the Old Testament was the place where God's people would gather together in order to worship Him collectively as a body of believers so that what's in view there is the church. And then there's reference to Jerusalem. That city in which God's people lived together and in which God Himself dwelt in their midst so that it's talking about the church. It's the church that's in view in Isaiah 62. And more specifically, it's the church as the bride of Jesus Christ. That comes out in verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 toward the end we read, And thy land shall be called Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. A name given to the church is Beulah because that term means married. And that's what's explained in verse 5. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. And what all this is communicating is that the church is the the bride of our Savior Jesus Christ. So that already here in Isaiah 62, we have the very same truth that's taught more clearly and more fully in Ephesians chapter 5, for example. That Christ is our bridegroom. As the church, we are His bride. And on the basis of His saving work, we are married to Him. And we have the Hope, the expectation that we will live with our husband for all eternity. The church is the bride of Jesus Christ. But now we need to focus more specifically on the identity of this bride. That is, we need to ask 
the question more specifically, what is the church? And one very appropriate way to define the church is that the church is the entire company of God's elect people. That's the church. And that's really what the catechism has in view when it explains what we believe concerning the church of Jesus Christ. Question answer 54 reads this way, but what believest thou concerning the holy Catholic church of Christ? And the answer is that the Son of God from the beginning to the end of the world gathers, defends, and preserves to Himself by His Spirit and Word out of the whole human race a church chosen to everlasting life. So that the catechism is really defining the church in terms of election. The church is made up of all those whom God chose in eternity past unto final salvation. So that we can understand the church in light of her her members. All those for whom Christ died. And now when we define the church in this way, we must understand we're talking about the church as the spiritual body and bride of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the church invisible. We'll explain in the second half of this first point what we mean by the church visible. Here we're talking about the church invisible. And we speak of the church this way because when we define the church according to election, all of God's elect people, we must understand that this is not something we can see with our physical eyes. We cannot see in this world all of God's elect people gathered together in one place at one time. And that's true because, well, on the one hand, God's elect people are gathered from throughout the entire history of this world. That's a part of what it means that the church is Catholic. And that too is taught in the catechism so that it says at the beginning of answer 54 that the Son of God from the beginning to the end of the world gathers, defends, and preserves to Himself a church. God had His church in the Old Testament so that His elect people included men like Isaiah and the other elect children of God who lived during the time of Isaiah, but God also has His church in the the New Testament. And really, His elect people are found in every single era of human history. And because many elect have already gone to glory, there's many elect who have yet to even be born, we can't bring all of God's elect people together at one specific time in a way that we could see the church gathered so that We speak of the church invisible because the church is gathered from throughout the whole history of the world. That's part of why we speak of the church this way. On the other hand, this is true because God's elect people are found from throughout the whole world. This too is the teaching of the catechism for it says that Christ gathers, defends, and preserves to Himself by His Spirit and Word out of the whole human race a church. His people are found from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And that's what's implied very clearly in Isaiah 62, verse 2, for example. Isaiah 62, verse 2, And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory. And the idea is 
They're going to see the, the glory of the church and be drawn to the church. They're going to seek out the church so that the church is not just made of Jews, not just those who are Israelites, but Gentiles also. God's people, His elect people, are found throughout the entire world. And again, because we cannot gather them all together into one specific place for a certain time, that means when we speak of the ter- church in terms of the elect body of Christ, we must understand we're talking about the church invisible because we cannot see it with our physical eyes. So there's the church invisible. But now our purpose this morning is not so much in defining the church, that's a part of the sermon, but our main focus is on the love of Christ for His church. And that love of Christ comes out so beautifully in Isaiah chapter 62 in the name that is given to the church. Verse 4, Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hephzibah. And thy land be for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. God calls His church Hephzibah. Which means the one in whom I delight. He rejoices over His church. And for Christ to give this name and apply it to the church is an expression of His love. His devotion. His desire for His church. He delights in it. And surely that has to be one of the most remarkable truths in all of Scripture. That Christ would delight in His church. Because the reality is that on account of our sin, we really deserve to be called by that other name in verse 4. Verse 4 begins, Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken. That's the name we deserve. Because on account of our sin, we have been unfaithful to our bridegroom. We have committed spiritual adultery against Him. So that Jesus Christ would have every right to say to us, I'm going to call you forsaken. I'm done with you. I've had enough of your sinfulness. I'm divorcing you. I never want to see you again. That's what we deserve on account of our sin. But yet, Scripture tells us very clearly that when Christ speaks to His church, He does not call her forsaken. Not that term, not that name anymore. But Hephzibah. The one in whom I delight. And that raises the question, how could that name ever be applied to the church? How could He speak of us in such terms? Now understand, the question is not what explains why He set His love upon us, because that's simply a matter of His good pleasure. But the 
The question is, how can that name, Hephzibah, rightly be applied to a sinful church? And the explanation is Christ's own saving work for His church. For you see, Christ is really the one who's in view at the very beginning of Isaiah 62. Isaiah 62 begins, For Zion's sake will I not hold My peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. That's Jesus Christ speaking in the text. Jesus Christ is the One who would not hold His peace. Who would not rest until He had accomplished our salvation. He did not rest until He had fulfilled all righteousness for us. He did not rest as He lived a life of perfect obedience, keeping every one of God's commandments. He did not rest until He had earned a righteousness that could be imputed to us so that we who are sinners could be declared righteous before our God. But nor did He rest when it came to satisfying God's justice for our sins. He did not rest until He had paid the entirety of the debt that we owe for our sins. He did not rest even when He was hung to the cross. For He endured the very wrath of God against our sins. He did not hold His peace. He did not rest until He had accomplished our salvation. And it's only on that basis then that this name Hephzibah could ever be applied to us. We deserve to be called forsaken. But instead, we're given the name the One in whom I delight. How is that possible? Well, because the One in whom God truly delights, Jesus Christ, His own beloved Son, He was forsaken for us on our account so that we who deserve to be forsaken might instead be called by that name Hephzibah. I delight in You. And is that not exactly what's being communicated to us in question and answer 56 of the Heidelberg Catechism concerning the forgiveness of sins? It's really an expression of this name, Hephzibah. At least the basis for that name because question 56 asks, what believest thou concerning the forgiveness of sins? And the answer is that God for the sake of Christ's satisfaction will no more remember my sins, neither my corrupt nature, against which I have to struggle all my life long. So that the first half of answer 56 is saying, thou shalt no more be termed forsaken because Christ was forsaken for you. But then the answer continues and it says, but He will graciously impute to me the righteousness of Christ that I may never be condemned before the tribunal of God. Thou shalt be called by a new name. Hephzibah. The one in whom I delight. 
Because you're clothed with the very righteousness of Christ Himself. And now does this not underscore His love for the church? What love is seen in His willingness to go through all this? To come down into this world to spend Himself and be spent. Not holding His peace. Not resting until He could say, it is finished. That's love, congregation. And oh, His love for us as His redeemed bride. He delights in you. He rejoices over you. He says to you, you ravish my heart, my sister, my spouse. He cannot take His eyes off of you, church. He loves you. And what's so amazing is that that love applies not just to the church invisible, the elect body and bride of Christ, but that love extends also to the church visible to the local congregation. And that's what we need to see in the second half of this first point. For in Reformed theology, we make a distinction between the church invisible. We've defined that. The, the elect body and bride of Christ. That spiritual body of Christ. But there's also the church visible. And by the church visible, we mean the church that you can see. That is the gathering of Believers and their seed at a specific time in history at a specific location on this earth. And the visible church exists because when Christ calls His elect people out of darkness into His marvelous light, He gathers them together so that together they might worship Him and worship our God for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And what is more, when He gathers us together, He gives to the church office bearers. Even as we're taught in verse 6, Isaiah 62, verse 6, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. He gives to us watchmen. Overseers. He gives us office bearers. Men to be the spiritual leaders in the church. Men to rule in the church of Jesus Christ. And to rule by ultimately pointing the people to Christ. The end of the verse says, ye that make mention of the Lord. And the literal idea there is ye that cause the people to remember. That's the work of an office bearer. Cause the people to remember the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ. Christ gives such office bearers to the church. And when there is a body of believers gathered together under the oversight of office bearers who come together to worship our God at a specific time in a specific place, we call that the church visible. We're talking about the local congregation. And there are many examples of this. Judah in the days of Isaiah was the church visible. Because you had a, a gathering of believers under 
the oversight of office bearers who would all come together to worship God. But now so too is Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. A visible church. But now our main point this morning is to see Christ's love for the church. And Christ does indeed love the local congregation. That is, His love extends not only to His elect body and bride, that spiritual body, but also to the local congregation. And that's clearly implied from everything we said in the first half, but that's made more explicit when we look at other passages of Scripture, such as Psalm 87, verse 2. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than the dwellings of Jacob. The gates of Zion refers to the place where God's people would come together as a body for worship. So that God's saying He loves their worship, but that also includes His love for the local congregation. This comes out in Paul's epistles. Two various churches. He's not addressing the entire elect body, but a local congregation. And there's these opening benedictions, these pronouncements of blessing, grace, peace upon the church. And that's a pronouncement from Christ Himself through the Apostle Paul so that embedded into that is the very love of Christ for the local congregation. So that on the basis of Scripture, we can say Christ has a fervent love for the instituted church. Now that does not mean He loves every single body that goes by the name of church. Because within the broader church world, there are many who take the name church to themselves who are not in fact churches. At least not true churches. Nor are we saying that Christ loves every single individual in every single true church. Because we also know that within the church, there are both the elect and the non-elect. They are not all Israel that are of Israel. But with those qualifications in place, we can say Christ loves the local congregation. True, visible churches. He delights in them. He rejoices over them. And is that not the answer to all of that criticism from without? For there is indeed a hostile, venomous, spiteful attitude attitude toward the church of Jesus Christ. That's true in the wicked world. They have their names for us too. Intolerant. On the wrong side of history. But now those attacks come not only from the wicked world, but they sometimes come even from the broader church world. And as Protestant Reformed churches, we know very well what that feels like. For in our recent history, we've been called the whore. Babylon. 
Our office bears have been called vipers and flying monkeys. We're not immune to the criticism from without. But the reality is that none of that really matters, does it? Because we know Christ's own evaluation of His church. For though we have been guilty of whoredoms, He does not call us the whore. He calls us Beulah. Married to Him. Because we are His bride. He calls us Hephzibah. I delight in You. And it's His evaluation. It's His view that matters. Let the world say what they will. Let others in the broader church world call us by whatever names they want to come up with. None of that matters when we know that Christ, the name that Christ gives to us, the name that Christ addresses us by is Hephzibah because He loves the church. And so congregation, do not be troubled by all of that criticism that comes from without. But now that said, we also have to address the criticism that arises from within. Because that does happen. And I'm not talking about a willingness to see our sins, our weaknesses, our imperfections. That's called humility. And that's good and necessary for the church. But I am talking about that critical spirit that is always looking for fault. I'm talking about that mentality that looks down upon the church and expresses itself at Sunday coffee with a string of negative comments regarding the church. So that when one speaks of the church, everything that comes out of his or her mouth, it's all negative. There's no place for that in the church. None. If anyone has the right to be critical of the church, it's Christ Himself. But Christ Himself says, I delight in my church. I love her. But then perhaps you object, well, but what about all the sin in the church? The church has failed in this area and in that area. That may well be. But that's where the forgiveness of sins comes in. That's question and answer 56. Yes, the church is full of sinners. Yes, the church has her failings. But we believe in the forgiveness of sins. And not just for specific individuals, but for the church. So that the church's sins are likewise forgiven. And it's when we remember that truth that the church is clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ 
that we recognize there's no place for that hypercritical attitude toward the church. And now I'm not saying that we ignore the problems. I'm not saying that we turn a blind eye to real issues in the church. But this Word of God addresses our attitude, our mentality, so that rather than focusing on the flaws, rather than only speaking of the church in a negative manner, we speak highly of her. Because Christ Himself speaks highly of His church. And all this is to say that we are to love the church because Christ Himself loves the church. And that's what we want to see in the second point. We've examined Christ's own love for the church, but now we want to look at our love for the church. As I said earlier, as those who love the bridegroom, we are to love His bride. And that love will express itself in three main ways. And those three main ways correspond to each of the three question and answers that make up Lord's Day 21. First, love for the church means joining ourselves as living members to a local congregation. Joining ourselves as living members to a local congregation. For we are members of that elect body. The church invisible. And that's really what's in view in question and answer 54. We start there. What believest thou concerning the Holy Catholic Church of Christ? We've explained fairly thoroughly the first main part of that answer. But notice those last two lines. That I am and forever shall remain a living member thereof. That is, I am a member of that elect body. The child of God can say that by faith in Jesus Christ. But now the key is, as a member of the church invisible, that elect body, that membership is to come to manifestation of visible expression by joining ourselves to the visible church. The local congregation. To be members of a true church of Jesus Christ. Exactly because Christ loves His church. Not just the invisible church, but the visible church. He, he loves her too. And in His love for the visible church, He's, he's given to her those things that are so important for our salvation. He's given to the local church the means of grace. So that the, the message of the forgiveness of sins is declared in the church through the preaching and set before us in the sacraments. And what is more, He's given to the local church office bearers. Those watchmen upon the walls who cease not to cause the people to remember the Lord. And it's in light of that 
that we must not fall into that wrong thinking that's so prevalent in the broader church world that says, I can be a part of the church invisible without being a part of the church visible. As long as I have Christ, I don't need the local congregation. I can be spiritual without being religious. That's the thinking of so many, but it's, it's dead wrong. Because we join the local church, the church visible, as an expression of our commitment to Christ and to His elect body. As one theologian put it, quote, part of what it means to belong to the body of Christ is to belong to a body of Christ. End quote. Part of what it means to belong to the elect invisible church is belonging to a local manifestation of that church. Now that means the opposite is also true. That if someone forsakes the church, if someone refuses to join himself or herself to a true church of Jesus Christ, they are saying, I do not need Christ's body. They are saying, I want no part with Christ's bride. Which is to say, they are rejecting Christ Himself. So a part of what loving the church means is joining ourselves to a true local church. And joining ourselves as living members. For you, see, for you see, we should not suppose that well, so long as my name is in the membership directory, and so long as I make an appearance at church, then I'm all set. If that's our thinking, we need to examine ourselves. Do I really love the church? Because love for the church to use the language of question answer 54 means I'm going to be a living member. Not just member, but there's that adjective. Living. An active member in the church. Someone who's engaged in the life of the church because Christ Himself delights in the church. Christ rejoices over the church and therefore I'm going to take delight in the church. I'm going to live within the church. My life is going to be wrapped up in the church. That, first of all, is what love for the church of Jesus Christ looks like. Joining ourselves as living members to a local congregation. Second, we show our love for the church of Jesus Christ by employing our God-given gifts for the good of others in the church. And this is where we bring in question and answer 55. Question answer 55, what do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that all and everyone believes, everyone who believes, being members of Christ, are in common partakers of Him and of all His riches and gifts. Secondly, that everyone must know it to be His duty readily and cheerfully to employ His gifts 
for the advantage and salvation of other members. Embedded into this answer is the truth that as those who are united to Christ, as members of His body, we are given various gifts, different talents, different abilities. And along with that comes the grace sufficient to use those gifts in a God-glorifying way for the good of others. And then the second half of answer 55 reminds us then of our corresponding duty to take those God-given gifts and grace and use it to serve others. We are to readily and cheerfully employ our gifts for the advantage and salvation of other members. We're to serve the other members. And to do so readily, cheerfully, happy to do so, looking for opportunities. That's to be our mentality as members of the church. And I trust you recognize that that runs contrary to our mentality by nature. Because by nature, our thinking is that it's all about me. And that everyone else should be serving me. And we often bring that mentality into church. So that we start to view the church in terms of what can the church do for me? But that's a wrong way of thinking about it. If we can take John F. Kennedy's famous statement that he made at his inaugural address and sanctify it a little bit, if we can put it that way. Ask not what your church can do for you, but what you can do for the church. That must be our mentality. Exactly because Christ loves the church. See, it all goes back to Christ's love. We're talking about His blood-bought sheep. We're talking about those people for whom He would not hold His peace. For whom He would not rest until He had accomplished their salvation in its entirety. We're talking about the people that Christ Himself delights in. That He came to serve. He loves the church. He served the church. And shall we not do the same? Not in the sense of we're going to atone for the sins of other members of the church. Not that. But though we cannot accomplish the salvation of anyone else in the church, we can use our gifts and abilities for their advantage and for their salvation in the sense of their spiritual good. And it's knowing Christ's great love for the church that is our encouragement to do the same. So that in the second place is what love for the church looks like. First, we join ourselves as living members to a local congregation. Second, we use our God-given gifts for the good of the members of the church. And third, love for the church means living as peacemakers within the church. And that's the practical application of question and answer 56. 
Question answer 56 concerns the forgiveness of sins, as we've already explained briefly when we explained that term, hefzibah. But now, we have to look at question and answer 56 as a part of Lord's Day 21, which is about the church, so that there's a connection between what we believe concerning the forgiveness of sins and the overall doctrine of the church. And we've, in passing, brought out two of those connections already. On the one hand, the truth that there's forgiveness for the church. We believe in the forgiveness of sins, certainly for the individual believer, but we noted earlier that there's forgiveness for the instituted church, for the, the local congregation. That's a part of the connection. Another connection is that it's in the church that there is the declaration of forgiveness through the preaching and in the sacraments so that by the chief means of grace, that message of the forgiveness of sins is declared to God's people who grab a hold of it by faith. But now there's one more connection between the church the doctrine of the church and the forgiveness of sins. And that's this. That we experience the forgiveness of sins within the church. And that's true on the one hand because as sinners, we often need others to forgive us. We sin against other members of the church. But when we go to that brother or sister confessing our sin, or that brother or sister comes to us confronting our sin, which then leads us by God's grace to confess our sin, we get to experience that joyous privilege of having someone say to us, I forgive you. So that we experience forgiveness in the church. But it's also that we extend forgiveness in the church because others sometimes wrong me. They sin against me. But then when that individual comes and confesses sin, then I, knowing how much I've been forgiven for Jesus' sake, am glad to say to that sinner, I do not hold this sin against you. I forgive you. And all of this is to say that forgiveness is experienced within the church. And it's in light of this that we recognize that love for the church means living as a peacemaker who is ready and willing to confess my wrongs to others and who is glad to forgive others who have wronged me. And this is so important because we are all sinners. The catechism in explaining the forgiveness of sin speaks of our corrupt nature against which I have to struggle all my life long. I have a, a sinful nature that loves only self, that hates the neighbor. And everyone else in the church has that same old man of sin and all of his defilement. There's going to be sin in the church. And the temptation for us when sinned against is to become bitter. To develop a grudge. To let resentment in our hearts fester towards the other members and thus towards the visible church as a whole. But we believe in the forgiveness of sins. 
And that forgiveness is to be experienced in the church. And that means my love for the church of Christ is to include forgiving others. Primarily because I've been forgiven so much. My debt has been paid. And now out of gratitude for the forgiveness of my sins, I'm ready and willing to forgive the sins of others. But now there's also this too. That there's forgiveness for the other member. That God says to the believing child of God who's sorry for sins, I forgive you. And now who am I to hold on to a sin against a brother or a sister when God Himself is not holding on to that sin? It's both I have been forgiven and the brother or sister has been forgiven. And knowing that, we are to strive to be peacemakers. So we'll ask the question again. Child of God, do you love the church of Jesus Christ? Christ loves her. Which is to say, Christ loves you. Hope, Protestant Reformed Church. And may that thought be the encouragement for us to likewise love her. Amen. Father in heaven, We thank Thee for the love of Jesus Christ, for His Bridegroom, the church. For His Bride, the church, rather. And we pray that knowing His love for the church, we too might be filled with a a fervent love that takes delight in the church. Work that in us over against our sinful natures and forgive us for all the times we have not loved the church as we ought to. Hear this prayer for Christ's sake. Amen.